0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let me offer a prayer before I begin. Almighty God, by whose spoken word... All things came into being. Speak to us this day, that we might be inspired by your Holy Spirit and drawn to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord. In his name I pray. Amen. It's good to be back with you. I'm going to begin with a reading from John's Gospel right at the end. A few pieces from the Resurrection Narratives Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been uh, taken from the entrance. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and said, I have seen the Lord. That's the passage I want to reflect on today with, a, again, a word of thanks to Dean Andrew Pearson, to Zach and others at this wonderful church that is such a model for what a church should be, as I just yet said yesterday, not just throughout uh, the city of Birmingham or the southeast, but really the nation. You are very blessed to have uh, the staff, the clergy, and the dean that you have here, and I hope you know how blessed you are. I'm going to begin with a little reflection uh, given uh, about a priest on an Easter Sunday who was trying to connect with children. And so he began uh, by calling them down forward and he had them sit in front on Easter morning and he said, So who visited your house this morning? Uh, And no answer. Not one hand went up, so he gave it another try. Who is big and white and has a pink nose and a big floppy ears? Who visited your house this morning? Still no answer. So once more, the priest gave it a shot. Well, it's Easter morning, so who came hopping down your street to deliver candy in baskets to you today? And at that point, one kid covered his mouth and whispered to his buddy, I know the answer is Jesus, but it really sounds like the Easter bunny to me. (laughs) I can't use that one again in Houston. I've used it too many times. So, I know the answer uh, is Jesus. You know, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ raises a lot of questions for us in this 18th year into the new millennia. Does the resurrection of Jesus really offer any answers to those questions? And if it does, do we modern, scientifically progressive Western thinkers still believe in a story that basically comes down to whether or not the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened? So yesterday I focused on the cross of Jesus Christ, and today I'd like to reflect on his resurrection. Let's just take a few minutes to think through the resurrection by looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked Mary and seeing how Jesus responds and how Mary responds. So early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. She sees the stone has been rolled away. She runs to tell two of the disciples. The guys take off. They run to the tomb, take a look inside, see nothing but the linen wrappings lying there, not in a pile, neatly rolled up in a ball, evidently overtaken with what they see. They leave Mary there standing in the dust. But she doesn't get it. She's weeping, and she bends over, she looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? Well, she says, they have taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. Now, to her credit, Mary doesn't say, how dare you ask me that question? Can't you see what I'm going through? Instead, she says simply, somebody's stolen his body, and I don't know where they put it. And she turns around and runs into a man she thinks is the gardener. It's Jesus. She just doesn't know it yet. But it's Jesus just the same. And he asks the same question. He says, woman, why are you weeping? Now, the term woman, by the way, isn't, isn't rude. Evidently, Jesus was raised in southern Nazareth because uh, it's the equivalent of actually saying, ma'am, uh, why are you crying? Uh, The angels asked the question out of curiosity. Perhaps they thought this earth creature should know Jesus is alive, so why is she crying? But Jesus asked the question out of compassion, out of his love for Mary. Why, Mary, are you crying? He knew the answer, but he wanted her to say it. And she doesn't respond to that question, kind of wiping her eyes and blowing her nose with a nonchalant, oh, nothing, you know, I'm really fine. No, she names her pain. Now that may be a question Jesus asks some of you here today. Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And our answer to that needs to be as honest as Mary's. Mary is meeting Jesus on the heels of the other side of the most horrible pain anyone can endure in this life or the next. Jesus has died. He's been to hell and back. Jesus knows pain. And so he can be trusted with your pain. And he knows why you're crying. He knows why you may be weeping. And he just wants you to name it to him so it can be healed. And there could be as many different answers to that question today as there are the number of people gathered here today. Even for those of us who are deeply rooted in our resurrection faith, tears are a part of our existence. What you're going through right now may be causing you pain and sorrow. Mary isn't the only one who stood in a cemetery battling tears. You may today be stinging from the death of a loved one. You may be hurting because of the recent diagnosis you or someone you love has received. Your eyes may be filled with tears because of problems with your loved one, your husband or your wife or your child. The list is endless, but Jesus sees your pain and he cares about suffering. And when ask you why you're weeping, it's time to take off the mask and admit the pain, because only then can you move on to accept the healing that he offers. And when you do, when you accept and name your pain, you're actually more open, more available to God's comfort and his presence and his Easter hope. Something the psalmist no doubt meant when he wrote these words in Psalm 35, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I wonder if you know this little verse. I walked a mile with laughter. She chatted all the way, but I was none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. Why are you weeping today? Bring that sorrow to Jesus next question Jesus asked Mary is who are you looking for he wasn't bad at grammar the Greek is actually whom seek Uh, when Jesus asked Mary her answer showed the deep love that she had for Jesus she still doesn't recognize him she saw it was the gardener so she says sir if you've carried him away tell me where you've laid him I'll go I'll get him I'll take him away Jesus at that point conceals himself no longer. He speaks her name, Mary, and she falls at his feet. Rabbi, answering his second question Who are you looking for? She was looking for Jesus and she had found him. You know, Jesus knows your name too. You could easily imagine him calling you by your name right now John, Taylor, Mary, Susan, Chris, Anne. Who, what, are you looking for? What is your goal in life? Everybody is looking for someone or something. They're searching for truth, for purpose, for that one secret that will make their lives better. Uh, Judd Apato, I don't know if you know him, he's known for a number of Hollywood works, many of which are raunchy comedies and none of which I'm going to recommend to you from this pulpit. Uh, It's brought him a lot of fame and notoriety. A few years back, Entertainment Weekly ranked him as the number one of 50 smartest people in Hollywood, though I'm not sure that's much of a compliment. Um, I don't know anything about the guy's faith journey, but I read an interview he did with the Rolling Stone, and this is what he said in the interview. Uh, The interviewer said, "You've, you've said that as an entertainer, all the success in the world won't heal you. And Apato replies, it doesn't do anything. There's a great distraction in thinking when I get to the top of that hill, it's going to be awesome. And then you get to the top of that hill and you're like, oh, I guess now I have to really deal with my problems because that didn't work at all. Everybody's looking for the newest, the biggest, the greatest, best thing. They think life is about more, more wealth, or more experiences, or more success. Many people spend their entire lives scrambling up the ladder of success only to get to the top and realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. They're looking for the one thing that will make life come together. And Mary, Mary knew what that one thing was. It was Jesus. You know, many of us come to faith in neat in tidy ways, we grew up in the church, or we grew up in Christian families, and that's just what you did. But it's not always that way. Lots of people come to faith, come to Jesus with a messy past. And I've found God's office is not so much found at the top of a steeple as it is at the end of your rope. I wonder if any of you feel messy today. Mary Magdalene had battled, we are told, seven demonic appetites when she met Jesus and when she was healed. So Anne Lamont, she's a salty convert, um, and in her book, Grace Eventually, she didn't come to Christ by a leap of faith. Instead, it involved several misguided staggers to God, and I'm going to read you part of her testimony. After a long series of bad decisions, she collapsed into disgust at her own life choices, and she tried to drown them in a bottle. And one night she fell into a drunken stupor and I'm going to read what she writes. This goes on a little long. So what are you going to do? I'm the guest preacher. Fire me. Um, uh, But these are her words. Exactly. I got in bed shaky and sad and too wild to have another drink or take a sleeping pill. And after a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me, hunkered down in the corner. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course, there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond a doubt that it was Jesus. I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian. It seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him sitting there watching me with patience and love. I squeezed my eyes shut, but that didn't help because it wasn't my eyes that were seeing him. I finally fell asleep and in the morning he was gone. The whole experience spooked me so badly, and everywhere I felt as if there was a little cat following me, waiting for me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let him in, and you know, when you let a cat in and feed him a little milk, it stays forever. And one week later, I went to church. I was so hungover, I couldn't stand for the songs. This time I stayed for the sermon, and I thought it was ridiculous, like someone trying to convince me of the existence of aliens. But the last song was so deep and so raw and so pure that I couldn't escape. I felt as though the presence of God was washing over me and I began to cry and I raced home and I felt the little cat running along at my heels. And I opened the door of my house and I stood there for one long minute. And then I hung my head and said, I quit. And I took a long breath and said out loud, All right, you can come in. She found what she was looking for. Have you? Have you found what you're looking for? Jesus opens the door to Mary's pain with his question, not an accusation, an acknowledgement. Why are you weeping? He knows her pain. He knows pain, and he wants to meet her in that pain. And the answer to Mary's pain is, is Jesus, and then Jesus uncovers her deep need. Whom are you looking for? It's not a cynical, patronizing query. It's a profound naming of the only name that will make her whole. The answer to Mary's search is Jesus. So as we consider the empty tomb, Jesus' resurrection, it has an answer to our weeping, to our pain, to our searching, to our need, and the answer is Jesus. Is it, is it worthy of our belief? In this year of our Lord, 2018, can laying hold of the story of Jesus' empty tomb really make a difference in our lives? As Barbara Brown Taylor has written of the Eastern Morn narratives, any way you look at it, it's a mighty fragile beginning for a religion that has lasted almost 2,000 years now. And yet that's where so many of us focus our energy on that tomb on that morning or what did or didn't happen there. Resurrection doesn't square with anything else we know about physical life of a human on earth. No one has ever seen it happen. Which is why it helps me to remember that nobody saw it on Easter morning. The resurrection is the only one event in Jesus' life that was entirely between Jesus and God. There were no witnesses to what happened inside that tomb. No one on earth can say what happened in there because no one was there. They all arrive after the fact. Two of them saw clothes. One of them saw angels. Most of them saw nothing because they're all still in bed that morning. But as it turned out, that didn't matter because the empty tomb was not the point. The tomb was just the cicada shell. All of us who grew up in Birmingham, as I did, know those cicada shells. They they crawl up on your pine trees, those crusty, frail, little dried-up carcasses we find clinging to trees every year with that neat slit right down the back. Evidence that death is left behind, something new has been born. Jesus wasn't there. He could have stayed in the tomb sitting all pink and new and healthy between two piles of clothes so that everyone could come in and see him. But that's not what he did. He had outgrown his tomb, which was too small a focus for the resurrection. Jesus had people to see and things to do. And the living one's business was among the living, to whom he appeared not once but four more times in the Gospel of John. And every time he came to his friends, they became stronger and wiser and kinder and more daring. And every time he came to them, they became more like him you know, I'm going to agree with Barbara Brown Taylor, that's what cinches the resurrection for me. Not an empty tomb. But what he came to do and what he still does among us now, he comes knowing our pain, knowing our names, and he whispers to us in sunrise, in sunset, in agony, and ecstasy, in loss, and love, he comes to us frankly in so many ways, we don't know where he's going to show up next. He is here with us now because we number more than two gathered in His name. And He's promised to show up in moments like this in the faces gathered here and the millions upon millions more around our globe who have been transformed by being drawn into Him, by being raised in Him. He comes to us in bread and wine and He calls us each by name and He reminds us that in His great drama, The words, the end, never roll across the screen. So that, my friends, is the message of the empty tomb. It's not about its emptiness. It's about the fullness that he offers. For he stretches out those wounded hands and in grace and in perfect love offers to heal your pain and to meet your need. He offers to turn death of all sorts into life of every kind. If Jesus has conquered death, as He promised He would, then He can be trusted with your pain, your weakness, your doubt, your fear, your darkest sins. And if Jesus has put an end to death, that means when our time comes, as it will for each of us, that life is not ended. It's just changed. And as He rose, we'll rise too leaving behind our old, broken-down cicada shell, slit in the back, because we've moved on to be with Him and with those we love forever. So may we all each and every one of us today fall at His feet, perhaps just again, Maybe for some, for some, just the first time. Just fall before Him. Name Him who He is. Lord and Savior and Healer of pain. The end of our search. The conqueror of death. The author of life. The resurrection, my friends, has an answer. And the answer is Jesus. And He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Son of our Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit to us now and as you rose on that first Easter morn, rise within each of us that our wounds may be healed and our search may find its perfect end in you, Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen.